Welcome everybody to another episode of Stat Stories. I'm Chad Shanks. And I am Justin Gabatko. With the NBA season reaching the all-star break tonight as of this recording, Justin and I are going to break down some of our biggest surprises and disappointments, both from the team and individual levels on this episode. But first, we want to talk about another player who is just having an incredible, amazing year, both stats-wise and any other-wise that you can think of, and that's Paul George from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, Justin, I don't know about you, but I, I did not expect a whole lot from Paul George this season, apart from what we've seen from him in the past. Like, he's been in the league, what, this is his eighth, ninth year, something like that. Usually by this this point... A player is who he is, and you know what you can expect from. But Paul George has really just taken his game to a next level, especially here in the last couple weeks where OKC seems to be one of, if not, I mean, arguably one of the best teams in the league right now. Well, yeah, it's just backtracking a little bit. I think I think we knew sort of what to expect. Or we had an expectation going into the season, right? I mean, like, you expect he's going to be an all-star. He'll probably be second or third team all-NBA. I mean, and he's going to be one of the best two-way players in the game. That that was all known, right? I mean, that's that's something he's been for several years now. So uh, that was all known. But yeah, he's definitely taken the leap this season where you would say he's in the top three, four players in the league based on this season alone. Just He's just having an incredible year. Yeah, so yeah, just to break down his numbers a little bit, 28.7 points per game, a full five points per game higher than his previous career high in a full season. He's also averaging eight rebounds, a career high, 4.1 assists, tied for career high, 2.3 steals, career high. I mean, his overall offensive rating is a career high. Career high for 30-point games, career high for 40-point games. Um, Just putting up an incredible, incredible amount of numbers. And just to put that into a little historical perspective, like for players in the last 40 seasons to finish a season averaging what he is right now with at least 28 points, eight rebounds, four assists, you have Harden, Westbrook, Durant, David Robinson, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird. Like, that's some pretty incredible company to be in. And if you factor in his assists to that, I mean, his steals to that, you're only going to get Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, the only one to reach those those levels or better across the board. So he's in rarefied air right now, and it's not like they're just meaningless numbers because the Thunder are currently third in the West, Um and they have the best defensive rating in the West. Like they're overall just one of the teams right that I don't know if I re- maybe you did, Justin. I didn't expect them to be this good or to really say that they were going to be contenders this year. But I mean, they if there's anyone that's going to dethrone the Warriors, I mean, it, I think my pick right now would be them. And Paul George's play is a huge reason behind that. Yeah, you know, going back to, to something I said earlier about. George, you know, we knew he'd be one of the best two-way players in the NBA. I think there's a really solid argument that this season he is the best two-way player in the NBA. Um, ESPN.com has a stat they call real plus minus, which is basically plus minus that's adjusted for things like who you're playing with on your team, who you're playing against on the other team, etc. So those types of things. So it's not just raw plus minus. It's plus minus adjusted for various numerous other factors. And if you look at it, George is, is second overall in the NBA in overall real plus minus based, you know, per, per um, 100 possessions. And he, is, he and Anthony Davis are the only players in the top 15 in both offensive RPM and defensive RPM. So, you know, that's, that's some pretty elite company 
he's uh, he's keeping this season. You know, he's fifth in offensive RPM, 11th in defensive RPM. So you've got a guy who, you know, you can classify as one of the top five offensive players in the game and one of the top 15 defensive players in the game. That's a pretty, pretty uh, lethal combination. And, you know, I mean, another guy you might throw in this conversation, even though he doesn't um, – doesn't meet the criteria I created here would be Kawhi Leonard is another player who's sort of that elite two-way player. But And it's just, you know, you're going back and you're quoting all those career highs on the offensive end. That's the thing. Like, it's not just that he's averaging a career high in points. It's just he's also averaging career highs in efficiency statistics, true shooting percentage, offensive rating, etc. So, you know, he's he's doing more, but he's also doing it very efficiently. And, you know, from past podcasts that, that I really love efficiency and George is is um, is doing things very efficiently this season. Well, let me ask you about the conversation about being a two-way player and stuff because it's really easy for, you know, for me and for the the, the lay the lay people, the the people who do not have degrees in statistics like yourself. Um, you know, we can take the just basic offensive numbers and be able to rattle off who's the best. Um, you don't always get a good idea of how good of a defensive player someone is based on their blocks per game or steals per game. I mean, those numbers don't tell a full story. So for you, I know you mentioned the real plus minus a second ago, but for you, if you're trying to evaluate defensive players, I mean, what real statistics are you looking at? How do you determine what, you know, how do you quantify what makes someone a good defensive player apart from those basic stats that, you know, that, that I would throw out there? I mean, so that's not something I'm really doing on a full-time basis. So I, I don't really have a system I use. Uh, back when I was a, uh, a consultant for the Trailblazers, they had a saying, eyes, ears, and numbers, right? And I think a lot of that can be applied to defense. Like there's the defensive numbers that we track are just not good enough for determining whether or not a player is good or bad on defense. Um, so you have to use other things like, you know, real plus minus would be one and other defensive metrics that people have come up with. I think you have to rely on scouting. I think you have to ha- send somebody to watch the player play because they're going to pick up on things that, you know, either live or on video that, that you're not going to pick up just via stats alone. And, you know, just kind of the reputation that the player has around the league. What do other players say about this player um, on the defensive end? So, you know, I, I don't I think it's it's part art, part science. You can't really make it 100 percent science because the metrics just aren't reliable enough to support that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You kind of you kind of have to throw both both of those factors in there. And he's I mean, he's got to be what the. I can't think of anyone I would pick over him right now for defensive player of the year, right? He's getting all the buzz. Uh, well, um, Rudy Gobert, who, possibly. I mean, Gobert is is, is um, an elite defensive player. Um, so, I, yeah, I think there's several guys who I, I would possibly take ahead of him for defensive player of the year. But to even be in the conversation and also be an elite scorer, you know, and also all those other things he does to help, to help the uh, – the, the, thun- the thunder on the offensive end, that, that's, again, just a, a, a very rare combination that's extremely valuable. Yeah, and the fact that he's doing it this far into his career, that he's elevating what was already a really good playing level, but taking it up a notch. I mean, especially after, I, I mean, I personally never thought he would be the same after the uh, the gruesome injury, you know, with uh, Team USA breaking his leg on the 
on the base of the goal like that. I mean, right. that's, I know breaks aren't the same as, you know, if you blow out your knee ligaments or ACL and stuff like that, but still like one of just on the, the eye test, it was like, ah, oh, this dude's dead. Like he's, <laughs> he's never, he's never coming back again. Where do you, all right, where do you rank his injury on the most gruesome sports injuries? Cause it has to be up there. Like it's pretty high. Okay. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I remember as so I'm old, right? So uh, I remember as a kid, I was watching Monday Night Football the night Joe Theismann Ugh. broke his leg, and so you remember that where Lawrence Taylor just destroyed him and Joe's leg snapped in two like a you know like a turkey bone or something, um, and and it made me like it made me physically ill. I, I watched the replay once and then I just like couldn't ever watch it again. And so now when a player gets hurt. I don't want to see any video of it. Like, I can't watch videos of guys getting hurt. Uh, I remember there was a guy, I believe his name was Kevin Ware, played for Louisville. Oh, yeah. In the NCAA tournament tournament a few years ago, right? And I didn't see the video for this one either. But from what I've heard, that was just a gruesome injury where he, you know, basically landed and his leg exploded. Um, So I'm I'm not the right person to ask because that stuff really makes me squeamish. and, And I just cannot watch it. Yeah, the Theismann is always the go-to. And, like, if we had to invent our own scale for the, the gruesomeness of an injury, like, it would be on the Theismans. Like, how, like on a scale from 1 to 10 Theismans, how disgusting with, was this? With Kevin Ware's was definitely, that would be a 10 Theismans. Like, that was all the way to the end. I, if you I'll, haven't watched it, yeah, I'll take it, your word for it. I don't, want, it. I don't want to see the video. I, that, that, one, see that one, I mean, even something like Gordon Hayward's last year, it it wasn't as bad. Anything where you see bones moving around and pointing in directions they're not supposed to. Um, so when I was thinking about it, of course, I started Googling most gruesome sports injuries, which is you know a good thing to everyone if you're listening to this at work on your work computer. Just Google gruesome sports injuries and start seeing what you find. Um, I, I found, of course, ones I never, I didn't know of, and I'm sure you do, but... You know, I'm a hockey. I, I'm, I wouldn't call myself a hockey fan. I enjoy it. I'll watch it, but I don't. I don't follow it as much. And I didn't know about um, recently. Richard Zednick on the Panthers had his throat cut during a game by a teammate skate. Like his neck was bleeding out everywhere. And um, I was like, "Holy crap! How did I not hear about this?" Like this doesn't. Ha- this doesn't happen in any other sport. Like I thought this was a Happy Gilmore joke. <laughs> Like that, it really happens, and not only that, this is not the only time it's happened in hockey. Oh no, like, there was there a time been... in the '80s. I think um, there was a goalie. I'm gonna get the name wrong, probably. I think it was Clint Malarchuk, but almost died on the ice because yeah, he, this has it, happened it, multiple times because they're just flinging their bodies around on giant sharpened knives. So <laughs> maybe I should get more into this into this horrifically violent sport. Um, also, any pitcher getting hit in the head with the line drive, that's almost an automatic 10, uh, 10 Theismans, because that's, I think we've almost gotten used to that. It hap- seems to happen so much, but that's the scariest thing in the world. Anyway. Well, yeah, since we're talking about horrific things, let, let's, let's move on to Georgia's teammate, Russell Westbrook, because you want to talk about horrific. His three-point shooting has been horrific this season. Well, yes, good. Look at you segueing. You're you're becoming such a professional podcaster. <laughs> um, as you as you mentioned, his shooting has been something to behold. But if you look at his overall numbers, he's he's kind of doing what he did 
two seasons ago in terms of triple doubles and racking up triple doubles like crazy. And that was pretty much enough to winning the MVP two seasons ago. But right now he's not even in the conversation. Nor so should he you, be. Nor should he be. Just because of his historic inefficiency. It's yeah, and it's not just his three point shooting. Like, okay, so like three point shooting, which I already mentioned, so let me talk about that first. He's shooting a little over 24% from three-point range, and he's taken over 200 attempts. So if it stays close to what it is now, that's going to be the worst in history by a player with at least 200 attempts. And his career three-point percentage is a little over 30%, and that's the worst for any player that has 2,500 career attempts. So worst season, worst career figures, just all around, he is not a good three-point shooter. He should stop shooting so many threes. He cannot make them. And But the other thing is, so, okay, the three-point shooting, the bad three-point shooting, you could live with that, but all of his, like, a lot of his other offensive indicators are down, too. Like, he's only taking a little over six free throw attempts per game. That's his lowest since 2011-12. And then when he gets to the line, he's not making them. He's shooting 65% from the line. That's, like, eight or nine percentage points better than his previous—or, I'm sorry— Eight or nine percentage points lower than his previous worst. So, like, he, he, you know, he's he's shooting terrible on he's shooting terribly on three pointers. He's not getting to the free throw line as much. When he gets there, he's not making them. His turnover, turnover percentage is a little over seventeen percent. It's the worst since his rookie season. So he's turning the ball over more than he has lately. And you add it all up. This is the least efficient offensive season he's had since his rookie campaign. And it's, you know, the the triple doubles are nice. They're flashy. But really, uh, on the offensive end of the floor, he has not been very good. Yeah, and I've seen you take the troll bait a little bit on Twitter about uh, people want to bring up that Harden is basically saying that it's one and the same. Well, Harden's not very efficient either, but you always you always counter back with that, right? It just the the pure volume of threes that Harden is shooting up makes makes it. I don't know if it. Well, no, but he's, he's also hitting what, like, he's hitting 37, 38%, something like that. I mean, Westbrook's shooting less than 25%. <laughs> like, yeah. they're, not, they're not comparable at all. They're not comparable. Yeah, but you don't, you think that's enough to make up for the good that he's doing? I mean, he. Well, no, but just, also, okay, but another thing is like free throw attempts, right? So I said Russ is shooting a little over six per game. Harden's shooting, I don't know what the exact number is, 13, 14 free throw attempts per game. So you're not you're not taking that into account. And then also Harden's making like, you know, 88% of them versus 65% for Westbrook. So, you know, it's not just one thing. The, Harden is more efficient in a lot of uh, offensive facets. Yeah, but with Westbrook being able to fill the the board in other ways or fill the, fill the box in other ways, I mean, it's... It's 10 triple doubles in a row I think he's on right now. Just broke um, Wilt's record. Um, he's almost on pace with his triple double numbers from the record-breaking season two, two seasons ago. Um, oh, yeah, No, I'm not saying like I'm not saying he's a bad player. He's obviously a very good player. I don't think he should be an all-star this year. I, I would take him off the team and put Gobert on. But um, he's still a good player, but he is just he's not an elite player this season. He's just not. Yeah, according to the your definition of elite, which I think is a definition that's maybe being being lost a little bit because people and I, I know I'm guilty of it as well. You just you get wrapped up in those triple doubles and being impressed with those numbers. And yeah, they don't tell the whole story, but still, at the end of the day, 
if he was doing this like he was in 2016-17 where they were clinging to what like the seventh or seventh or eighth seed and right now they've looking like they're going to have a, a home field in the or not home field home court <laughs> in the <laughs> i'm thinking baseball already pitchers and catchers report um home court in the playoffs um yeah i mean it's obviously uh it's obviously leading to more more victories and maybe you can say well they might be doing that in spite of him, like Paul George's play, Stephen Adams' play, the rest of the Schroeder, who's been a great pickup for them. Um, these guys are, are making up for Russ's craziness. I mean, there was that one. What was that one game just recently where he had the he, the game winning shot and just dribbled it straight down the lane and turned it over? They're just he just sometimes his little mighty mouse mentality just gets the best of him. And yeah, I. I I, I I get conflicted with him because I want to praise him for what he does on the court and just his style of play and his his attitudes. Like his quote the other day that he was blessed with the talent to not give an f. Um, like I love his swagger. I love everything about him. But yeah, when you if, when you really watch him play, it's like oh man, this dude is. I mean, I could get a triple double if I had the ball in my hand every time and threw it, just threw it somewhere every single play. Like the law of averages kind of starts to. Well, I'm pretty get sure you could. I'm pretty sure you could. I bet <laughs> I could. I bet I could. But yeah, no, like yeah, let's let me state this again too. Just he is a good player, a very very good player, and he's fun to watch. And the triple doubles are fun. I, I think the triple doubles are. Um, yeah, they're a fun stat, but how much they correlate to winning basketball games, I don't know. But, you know, I tweet about triple-doubles all the time. It's it's a fun stat. They're, they're fun to talk about. So that that's fine. And it's, I'm not criticizing him for, for putting up triple-doubles. And I'm not criticizing him. I'm not saying he's a bad player. He's a good player. He is just, you know, Paul George is the guy that's that's carrying the team this season. It's not him. All right, so would you say, would is Russell Westbrook one of your uh, your biggest disappointments of this season? Or has it not gotten to that that level of inefficiency to where Justin Kabatko is considering you a disappointment. I wouldn't call him the biggest. I think he's a disappointment. I think his offensive performance this year has been disappointing. He's not the biggest disappointment, I don't think. Well, let's transition into that. Let's start <laughs> um, let, let's start low and we'll work our way high. So it's the, the quote-unquote halfway point of the season, even though it's not really. Um, it just kind of feels like it, though, especially with the playoffs. But let's... For lack of a better term, first half-ish, half and a quarter, whatever it is, three-fourths of the season. Let's talk about what we've seen so far. What do you expect going forward? Who are, Who is your biggest disappointment so far in the 2018-19 season? Yeah, I mean, this is hard. This is, um, I think this depends on maybe what expectations a person had for this particular player, particular player coming into the season. So I have a couple guys that I, I thought of. I, I guess the guy I would pick as my biggest disappointment so far is Eric Gordon. He, you know, and this just uh, for me, this is just further evidence that Harden is the MVP because Gordon is not having a good year. He's his field goal percentage is thirty nine percent, career low. His three point percentage is thirty two percent, career low, and he's taken eight and a half per game, so he's he's missing a lot of three pointers. He's not really a, a playmaker, but he still has a career-low assist percentage. He's not a guy who gets to the line all the time, but his free-throw attempts are down 25% compared to last season. And then his true shooting percentage, you know, when you add up his shooting from the floor and his shooting from the free-throw line, that's also career-low. So to me, Eric Gordon is, is really a disappointment. Last year, 
just a superb season off the bench for the Rockets. He was one of the guys who sort of, uh, you know, helped carry them to that that best record in the West last year. And he's just not coming through for them this year. All right, so I'll have to show you my notes so you, uh, you don't think that I'm lying or just piggybacking. I have as my biggest disappointment is Eric Gordon. Wow. Um, I mean, excluding players who've dealt with injuries, um, you know, your John Walls, your you know guys like that who haven't seen the court or are out for the year. He's he's having one of the worst shooting seasons ever for someone with his shot volume, as you've as you've said with the stats. It's the his field goal percentage is the worst of any Houston player who's ever averaged 14 shots a game in a season, and only Tim Hardaway Jr. is worse this season. I mean, if you look it up on look it up his shooting on StatMuse, you're gonna find him along. Along the this season, along the lines of like late stage Kobe Bryant, last season's Lonzo Ball, like some of the yeah, that, worst. That, those aren't pretty seasons to be. And this is from a guy who, like you said, was a dynamite player for them, a big reason why they made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. A, he won six man, was it last year or two years ago? Um, this is a great player, a great shooter who they need in that offense. And granted, everyone in that offense is throwing up threes at an insane rate, so the percentages are going to be down. But even if you take take that into account, he, he is having a horrific shooting season. And with Chris Paul missing so much time, um, Capella, who f- puts in a fair amount of points, missing time, I mean, they've needed him to step up, and he really, really hasn't. And if he doesn't, I don't think they're going to make it very far in the playoffs, especially if teams are just going to just zone just zone in on Harden and try to make someone else beat them. If Eric Gordon's not going to be shooting the ball well, the the Rockets aren't going to go very far. So, yeah, all right, so we're, we're one for one on, on samesies. All right, I'll start with um, – my biggest disappointment for for team, and this this was hard for me to choose because there are quite a few. Um, the Lakers being below five hundred at this point is a huge disappointment. Even though I mean, although there's the asterisk, right? The LeBron's LeBron been out so much, but in many many games, there's the teams that the, what the last five seasons like. This is gonna be the season. This is gonna be the season. They'll take that step, and they never do. Like the Timberwolves, Pelicans, of course. Um, the Celtics, I thought about for a little bit because they're they're still oh, a no, good team, but no. I I expected them to be great this year. Um, but definitely, my I think my biggest disappointment, if I had to choose one, would have to be Utah. Um, I thought, and Utah is not having a bad season by any that, by any stretch. That's to me is an odd choice, but go but ahead. But I think I really thought they would be battling for home court at this point, not a loss away from tumbling out of the playoff pictures. They haven't had any injury troubles. Um, Donovan Mitchell really hasn't taken a, a huge step from his rookie season numbers. I mean, he looked like a star in the making. He's only improved slightly, um, but his shooting's a little worse. I mean, it's just not the level of progression I expected. Um, and many people were choosing them uh, maybe a dark horse contender in the West this season, at least a top four seed. And right now, I mean, they're, they'll be happy just to make it in. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if San Antonio surpassed them. If L.A. hadn't made the Tobias Harris trade, I would have thought maybe they could have surpassed them. Um, yeah, they're just not playing well based on what my expectations were for them this year. Okay. I mean, yeah, I I don't know. I the, 
they've played one of the toughest schedules in the NBA. They've played, depending on what you look at, they've played like the fourth or fifth toughest schedule in the NBA. So to be 32 and 25, like what did you expect out of this team? Like what what was your your win expectation for them coming into this season? Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, a top, I expected them to be a top four seed in the West and maybe maybe even fill kind of that role that that Denver's doing right now. The um, the team you didn't expect to be as good as they are. Like just over the last few seasons, seeing their especially I mean, Gobert they're, they're and the way they right are now, on and defense. they're only two game they're only two games out of four. So like I, I just like I don't I don't see the the huge disappointment. If you expected them to be like a fourth seed or so, they're they're two games away from that. Yeah, but they're also one game from being completely out of the playoffs. I just that's the West, right? That that was the West last year too. It was like three through eight, nine, ten. There was very little separation. There was like three games or something. All right. So tell me how disappointed you are in the Knicks. Take your take your easy route. Oh, no, no. I mean, no. I'm not picking Knicks because I think, I mean, I don't know. I personally expected them to be a dumpster fire, and they're living up to that very low expectations. So I don't. Now I have two teams. Uh, Picking one was tough. I am going to go with the Pelicans, though. I really thought this was the year that they would, you know, put things together. I thought last year winning that playoff series would sort of uh, catapult them into this season and then make them one of the the better teams in the West. And you know, the, their Vegas over under was forty five and a half wins. They're not going to get that. They're twenty five and thirty three right now, out of the playoff picture. Uh, you know they started really well. Yeah, they, they started four and zero, and they won. I think they scored like 131 on opening night against the Rockets, and then they scored 149 in their second game. You're like, holy cow! They, they, you know, they've got it going. And then after winning those first four games, they dropped six games in a row, four of them by double digits. So it was like, it was all just a, a mirage, I guess. And you know, then there's all the Anthony Davis drama. To me, that factors into the disappointment too. You know, d- disappointment that a player would would sort of oh, sabotage is a strong word but like almost sabotage his team by making an announcement like yeah. that during the season it just didn't seem to fit the type of uh character i thought anthony davis had and i know it's really 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 stupid to make a character judgment on one little thing like this but yeah just that all of that you add it all up you know it's just to me it was just a really it's a team that's really hasn't lived up to my expectations. I really thought they would be one of the better teams in the West this year, and they are not. And then, real quick, let me the other one, which I don't want to spend a lot of time on, would be one of your favorite teams because they have your your uh, your favorite Dwight Howard would be the Wizards, right? I mean, the Wizards are obviously just a train wreck. They're twenty four and thirty four. They're expected uh, based on Vegas over under to win forty six games, give or take. Uh, they started off horribly, one and seven, three twenty-point losses, and it, you know Dwight's played nine games. John Wall, their franchise player, is going to be out for the next year, year and a half, something like that. Just, you know, not a good, not a good place to be right now. Is is uh, is DC? Yeah, neither. I mean, definitely both of those teams for years. You thought they they were on the verge of taking the next step, and with the East being wide open, Washington, even before Wall went down, not not really looking like they were going to compete is a huge disappointment but it it I guess I'm basing my my choice like I said on expectations I guess I didn't expect as much from both of them as you did um one thing that maybe clouds my judgment with them is knowing 
from the inner workings of NBA teams, like from a staff perspective, kind of, I, I know things about both those organizations. Um, we talked about it a little bit when we were discussing the Anthony Davis um, trade a few episodes ago. And like the Pelicans have a well-deserved reputation as not being run that well as an organization because the, the Bensons just took it over and are trying to make it their, their B-team football club. Um, but the Wizards are another one that, um, I don't know if it's possible to do this, but you go back and look at the um, job openings in an organization, not just not talking about just coaching staff and general managers, like the ones that you hear reported all the time, go back and look at the job openings and just full-time staffers. And the Wizards are constantly, we're constantly having job openings, just extremely high turnaround, just an organization that couldn't seem to, to keep people. And the turnaround in sports is high in general. And that's one thing I'll a lot of people don't understand how high it is just because it's low pay, high stress, crazy hours, and it leads to better opportunities. Um, people always want to hire someone that worked at the, the big fancy team. But the Wizards is were constantly, constantly having uh, positions turn over year after year after year. And that says a lot about, you say, like, how does that affect the play on the on the court. Well, it's just indicative of how an organization overall is run. And I think the Wizards have more than lived up to that with what you can see just based on their on the court and all the all that kind of drama. Yeah, so the Wizards for me, all that roundabout way of saying, yeah, I didn't expect much from the Wizards and never have. Fair enough. I should I should not have brought up one of Dwight's teams. I knew it to send you off on some <laughs> tangent. I, mean, I don't blame my BFF Dwight and his curse that he brought. <laughs> All right, so let, let's move on then to, to good things. Surprises, let's end it on a right? high everybody note. Like, every, yeah, everybody let's likes Let's go surprises, to the break so on a high note. Let, let's, you know, since we talked about teams, let's just stay on the on the team track here. Who was your biggest surprise team? I, I haven't a guess who this is, but I think we'll both say the same thing, but go ahead. Um, well, I have, I have two. One that's only a kind of a surprise. Um, let's just go with then the biggest one for you. I think Sacramento being in contention for the playoffs right now is yeah that was about as shocking as any team and their their young guys are playing well I I still don't see them as being anywhere close to being a true contender but that they've been able to wade the waters in the in the West like they have this year um, very shocked that they that they're there at this point in the season I think I saw some stat like this is the the longest uh, in a season that they've been over 500 and you know a decade or whatever however long it's been um no the, yeah no so this is the first first time over 500 at the all-star break since 2004 oh god yeah so, so we're talking about like the it's weber been a long time when when were the weber bibby years vlade how yeah, long i mean how long ago was that yeah. 2000 um yeah this has been a this has been a franchise that apart from the occasional 50 point boogie cousins game or the occasional boogie outburst um just kind of forget that they existed and no i mean and yeah nobody expected them to do well vegas had their over under at 26 wins and they already have 30 so they've already beaten their over under at the all-star break so this was not something at least that the uh that vegas expected and you know you're it's it's a young roster it's a really young roster you go through it like bagley is 19 giles is 20 fox is 21 collie stein is 25 harrison barnes is 26 that like through me I, I had no idea i don't know why i shouldn't know this but right for some reason i thought harrison Barts had to be like early 30s he's only 26 years old 
you know, he's, he's he still has a long career left. You, Bogdanovich is 26. Buddy Heald is 26. So, you know, their main contributors are very young guys. And if they can keep this train on the right track, which Sacramento, you know, there's always some sort of drama in Sacramento. You have that going on now with the head coach and the assistant general manager not talking to each other. But if if they can keep this this train on the track, they you know, you, I'm I'm expecting good things in the coming years from them. Yeah, but I mean, my thing with them is, I mean, who out of any of those guys that you named, do you really do you really see becoming the guy? Um, I, I, Darren Fox is. It really impresses me. And again, you know, he's he's 21 years old. I, I and then Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald's a little bit older. Buddy Heald is having a fantastic. He's better season. than Steph Curry, um, according to who said that? Did Vlade say that? Who said that when they got him from New Orleans? It may have been Vlade. I, I can't remember. Yeah, just at this point in the season, that anything regarding Sacramento is not just talking about what lottery position they're going to get is is a shock. I mean, they and God, they have drafted poorly up until you know these last couple. I mean, just a history of bombing, bombing draft picks. But you can get in that argument like we do. You can with the Cleveland Browns. Are they? Is it real? Is it they're drafting bad players or players coming into a situation where it's impossible to succeed? Um, well, the Browns will fix that. Yeah. Well, I don't want to talk about the Browns. I'm mad at them for their addition this week. Um, my kind. Okay. Well, let's no, no, no. Let's keep it on. The, yeah. Uh, positive. positive. This is let's, po- let's, positive ending. Yeah, yeah. Positive ending. One, one other team I wanted to mention real quick is they didn't. I, I wouldn't really pick them as my most surprising team this season, but they've surprised me in the last few weeks here, and that's the Pacers. They're third in the East right now. They're ahead of both Boston and Philadelphia, and Boston and Philadelphia are in the news a lot more than Indiana is, but. You know, I I figured the Oladipo injury would be the end of them. Yeah, me too. And then when they lost, they lost their first four games after after he his injury. Three of them were to Memphis, Washington, and the Magic. So like a poo poo platter of teams, and you just a thought, okay, platter. it's over for them. Yes. And then they reeled off six straight wins, and then they you know they played the Bucks last night. Bucks either the best or the second best team in the NBA. They lost to the Bucks last night, but still. You know they're still right there. They're still they're near the top of the East, and it, and to me it's just, you know, Nate McMillan deserves a lot of credit for for keeping this helping this team stay together. They're, they're really good on defense. They're second in the league to the Bucks in defensive rating, and you know as long as they keep playing good defense, elite defense, they're probably going to to stay near the top of the East. And it, to me that's just again it's just it's surprising. I thought really the bottom would fall out after after Old Depot. Oh yeah, and you. And you wouldn't have blamed them. You wouldn't have blamed them at all. I'd say, oh yeah, that's, that's what's happening with the Wizards. That's what is what happens to any team when they lose their best player, especially their best core. Um, one that before we uh, hit players that I was just kind of remotely surprised with is Toronto. Not that they are where they are, but just that they are as good as they are with everything that's happened in the last year. I mean, completely changing their lineup, bringing in uh, Kawhi, who was a huge question mark um, at the beginning of the season, new coach, um, that they're as good as they are and that they're going into the break with their best record at the break in team history. I mean, a little a little bit surprising to me, I'm not going to lie, and that they only got better by picking up Marc Gasol. I mean, they had every excuse in the book for this season to be a complete washout. And, and they're not. And that's 
somewhat surprising, but not not. Well, we we, we just we have very ex- different expectations for these teams, I guess, coming into the season. Because to me, Toronto was they were a top two team in the East, the, I, <laughs> and that's where they are now. So, like to me, this isn't a surprise. This is this is what I thought they would be doing. All right, for me, for closing out, most surprising player for me, it's it was an easy choice. It was one that we've already discussed at length, and that's uh, Luka Doncic being as amazing as he is. Uh, I I did not see that coming. I definitely don't think the Atlanta Hawks saw that coming, um, or they wouldn't have gotten rid of him. But, I mean, Trey Young has been no slouch whatsoever. Um, I don't know too many people maybe outside of Dallas who were saying at the beginning of this year that Luka looked like he was a transcendent talent. And it's still early, and we know how rookies can can peter out sometimes. Um in their careers, but this this guy looks legit, and I had no idea coming into the season that he would be this good. So we've we've discussed him at length. I don't know what else there is to say about Luca, but he's he's my biggest surprise of the first the the pre break, not the first half, the pre break of the season. What about you? Yeah, it wouldn't be Luca. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I expected this kind of production from Luca, but uh, again, I, I think it was, he was a pretty easy um, preseason contender for rookie of the year. And so, you know, and again, I, I don't, I didn't think he'd be doing this, but I, to me, the biggest surprise it has been Derek Rose. That's and, a good one. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean like left for dead, me, like many others had kind of left him for dead. You know, I just thought this guy's just, he's just, cause you know, he just he, he had, his game was built a lot off of um, speed and athleticism, right? Getting to the rim, and, and you, he just kind of lost that with all the knee injuries, the leg injuries, and you know, you, and his, his shooting was never really his strong point, and so I, I just didn't see a place for him in the current NBA. But he's proven me and many other people wrong. You know, he's averaging a little over 18 a game and just a little over 28 minutes per game. His three-point percentage is is over 40%. His career best was like 33% coming into the season. So somehow, I mean, is this a one-season blip or is this something he worked on and is now part of his game? I guess we'll see next year. But, you know, he's really shooting well. He has a career-high true shooting percentage. And, you know, probably for many people, he had what is still the highlight of the season when I think it was on Halloween he scored 50 points. And it was just, you know, there there was that scene at the end of the game where his teammates just mobbed him. And it was just, you know, even even if you're, you know, a really jaded person, it kind of had to make you feel good that this guy who, you know, youngest MVP, I believe, I think that's right, right? Youngest yeah. MVP in NBA history. And, you know, to then just just have everything go wrong for him, the injuries and whatnot, and then to come back like he did, like he has this season, and then for his teammates to to celebrate with him like that, you know, just made you made you understand that you know this is a guy that is he's really loved by his teammates. He worked really hard to to find a place for himself in the current NBA, and yeah, you know, like, I'm happy for him. I'm, and I think it's 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 a good story. It's a really good story. If they had if they still had comeback player of the year, I think Rose would be a, a cinch to win it this year. Oh yeah, he'd be a shoe in. Yeah, not too many people have gone from the top of the mountain to the bottom, you know, as fast and as depressingly as he did just watching one injury after another. So yeah, it's a good story to see him back 
you know, back in the good basketball gods, good graces this year. So yeah, good choice. Good, good choice. Good surprise. So let's close that on a nice positive note. Everyone is feeling really good. 50-ish games into the basketball season. Is that correct? 50-something games, 30 to go um, in the playoffs. So in a way, it's kind of the halfway point, but I'm just going to keep doing that because I know it bothers Justin when I call it the first half. So thank you very much for listening <laughs> to us for this episode of Stat Stories. I don't know if we're going to have a whole lot to talk about next week um, with the All-Star All-Star break this weekend, but I'm sure we'll come up with something. Uh, be sure to give us a follow on Twitter. He is at Jay Kabatko. I am at Chad J. Shanks. The company that pl- that pays us is at Stat News. Give them, give them a follow, please. Also, if you like what you hear, be sure to give us a review on uh, iTunes, iOS, Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it these days. Give us a nice little review to help us out there. Uh, If you don't like what you hear, keep your mouth shut. Remember, this is about positivity. We're ending on a positive note, so give us some positive feedback if you have it. Um, Again, thanks for listening. We will see you next week on Stat Stories.